Well, hey there, New City. So glad you are here. Can I be uh, one of the first, if not the first, to welcome you to 2021? Uh, I don't want to jinx it, okay? But uh, I'm kind of glad we've turned the page on 2020 and uh, we opened up the page to 2021. Uh, I'm, I'm really eager for this year uh, to, I mean, it's the, what better way to start a year because only up from here, right? I mean, it's, it's all upside. I mean, we're, uh, you know, uh, so somebody might say, hey, dude, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it, all right? But uh, I, hey, listen, I'm one of those people. I'm a high change personality. Um, I believe change is possible. I believe change is possible for you in 2021. I believe change is possible for our, our city in 2021. I believe change is possible uh, for our church in 2021. Uh, I follow Mike Cosper on Twitter, and Mike said something this week that was really impactful to me, and I think maybe it'll be impactful to you. He said, feel free to ignore the cynics dismissing New Year's Day as just another day. We are creatures of story, ritual, and drama. The day can be important because we collectively call it important. So make your resolutions and let the day be a landmark. And I tend to agree here with Mike that we have all collectively said, hey, that we've turned the page in 2020, we turned open a new page in 2021, and, and there are those cynics around us who say, ah, it's just another day, nothing has really changed, but I think there are those of us who are a little bit more romantic than that, who, who buy into the story that we're living and say, you know what, a story has changed, something has changed in the story. Uh, there is a new day coming. And so I'll just ask you, what's your word for 2021? That seems to be a thing people are doing uh, these days, is picking a word uh, to mark their year. I don't know if that's something you've done, but maybe you can think about now. If you were to pick a word for 2021, what would your word be? I'll tell you what my word is. My word for 2021 is transform. Uh, I'm looking at lots of areas of my own personal life I'd like to see transformation. I'm looking at areas within our church community. I like to see transformation. I'm looking at areas in the, in the city uh, that I have influence over in terms of ministry impact and going, you know what, it'd be great to see some transformation there. But I know that transformation for me is going to start inside. And so Romans 12 is going to be my verse this year. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I want that transformation that comes from God's Word in me, but I want that transformation to come for New City but because it's God's Word in and with us. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.16 said, Let the Word of God dwell within you all, y'all, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, uh, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I, I think that's, if we're going to start the year off, let's start the year off as a community saying, you know what, let's let the Word of God dwell within us ritually. Let's, let's, let's seek the transformation that comes from the Word of God, that transforms us from the inside out. And so, because this is my word, and this is how I'm thinking about the new year, uh, we chose to do a series to start the new year on Romans chapter 8, uh, and we're going to do three weeks in Romans 8, and so I'm so excited about this. And, and Romans 8 is probably, for me, uh, the chapter of Scripture I go to more than any other chapter in my sort of, my, my free time in my mind. So like when my mind drifts to a text, it often uh, in that sort of text drifting of the mind, it goes to Romans 8. Perhaps because Romans 8 is the pinnacle of Scripture, as Tim Keller says, if the Bible were a mountain range, it is said Romans 8 would be its highest peak. So it makes sense for us to spend some time in Romans 8, to spend some time sort of meditating on the principles that are here, about the change that it speaks to. 
Now, I'm just going to speak to you. I mean, this, this may be offensive to you New Mexicans, native New Mexicans, okay? And I, and I, and I do intend to be offensive <laughs> to you, okay? But it's been, it's, been my, it's been my sort of just observation. I've been in New Mexico now 10 years. Uh, I, am, I would consider myself a New Mexican. Uh, but I'm resisting some things that are essentially New Mexican. It, it seems to me that when I think about what's the prophetic voice that God has called me to sort, of, to sort of adopt in New Mexico, the prophetic voice that God is calling me to adopt in this, in this state is one of hope and change. Because it seems to me that New Mexicans struggle to believe that change is possible. It seems to me that New Mexicans struggle to think that anything could ever change, that this is, we're all, it's always going to be the same. And so we call this series, If God is for Us, because what happens in Romans 8.31 is, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I've got a question for you New Mexicans. And this is me just being a prophet. I'm just poking the bear a little bit. For those of us who struggle with change and who struggle with believing change is possible, who struggle in embracing hope, I'm just going to ask you, what would you try to change if you really believed that God was for you? What would you try to change if you really believed that God was for you? I mean, some of us come into this new year with some stuff going on in our life. There have been some habits that we've developed that we would like to get rid of some things we'd like to change, some things we know that are not helping us to grow spiritually. and we're not, we're not vibrant in our relationship with God. We're not vibrant in our relationship with others. And we feel stuck. But the New Mexican in you just says, hey, this is the way things are going to be because this is the way things have always been. And can I say the Word of God speaks against that. And just to listen to the text one more time, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And what would you try to change if you really believe that God was for you. Now here's my, here, here's, I mean this is a big idea. You can go home after this one. When you empower the Spirit of God with the Word of God within you, transformation is inevitable. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you, if you empower the Holy Spirit who dwells in you as a Christian, if you empower the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, I want you to know that change is inevitable. And what Romans 8 teaches, and by the way, if you're looking in the Bible today and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 1 to 17, so I'm going to be picking verses from that section and sort of highlighting some teaching there. But Romans 8, 11, what does Romans 8, 11 say? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And the biblical teaching is a Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And if that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, has the word of God to use in you, that the word, the word of God is transformed. If it dwells in you with the Holy Spirit in you, I want you to know transformation, change is inevitable. Like it will happen. But we cannot have the transformation we need without the truth to believe. And there are a lot of Christians who have you know, everything they need for transformation, access to the Word of God, presence of the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's something missing. It's because they're not digging into the Word of God. They're not trusting the transformative power of God's Word. They're not letting the Word of God dwell within them richly. And so the, what's happened is the voice of the Holy Spirit has become faint in their life. 
And you may be one of those Christians where the Holy Spirit's voice has just become faint in your life. But there are a lot of voices. And listen, man, we, we are, I'm not the only one, okay? You're not the only one. You need to hear this. You're not the only one that has voices in your head, right? <laughs> like, you're not the only one that has voices in your head that you'd like to get rid of. You're not the only one that has voices in your head that are speaking to you things that are not true. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've used this quote so many times over the years because it just rings true, and you'll hear it, and you'll go, yep, that rings true. Have you, have you realized that most of, our, of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Another way of putting it is, have you realized that most of the unhappiness in your life is that you let the voices in your head just run wild, but you're not speaking the truth of God's word to yourself? That you're not preaching the gospel, that it's like a sword that separates bone from marrow, flesh from spirit. Like you're not embracing the word of God that has transformative power and letting that truth reign in you, but instead you're letting your thoughts run wild. And listen, you are, an infall- you, you are, not, so you are not right an, an infallible being, and your thoughts are not all okay. And you can't just let your mind run unchecked. As the Bible says, you've got to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. And the way you do that is with the Word of God. And too many of us have, word, have, have, have dialogues in our head that run unchecked by any other truth. See, everyone has tapes that they play, but we cannot let just any tape play unchecked by the truth. We can't do it. We can't go through life that way. So what I, what I want to do with you is just give you some thought patterns. So in Romans 3 to 8, chapters 3 to 8 of Romans, we get a thought pattern. Uh, one of the reasons I like to preach Paul is because he's logical <laughs> and he's making an argument. And so there's an argument sort of unfolding that gets us to Romans 8. And I want you to kind of feel the argument out a little bit that Paul is making from Romans 3 to Romans 8. So Romans 3 to 8 gives us a framework for thinking that, and, 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 and a way to evaluate what's true about us. And so it begins in Romans 3. He te- Romans 3 teaches us that we are all sinners. One of the big ideas of Romans 3 is that, man, all of us are imperfect, and we do things that we wish we wouldn't do, and we are sinners. In fact, the Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. So uh, that's an all-inclusive category. There's not a person in here who's perfect. That we are all sinners, and we have fallen short from God's glorious ideal for us. And Romans 3 says, hey, we're all sinners. Romans 4 says, or Romans 4 teaches us that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone. And the metaphor that Paul uses, or at least the, the, the biblical story that Paul uses, is the story of Abraham. And what he says in Romans 4.16 is that this is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. That the salvation he's going to speak to is a salvation that comes by faith and through grace, and that's how it comes to us. And then Romans 5 teaches us to focus on what Jesus has done, not what we have failed to do. And it fixes our eyes on the finished and complete work of Jesus. And so in Romans 5, 6 you read, For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me who are sinners who have failed to live up to the glory of God. And then in Romans 5, 20 Paul says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. So when we got exposed to the law, like the law, like like, like coveting uh, the heart to said, man, I want to covet more. And we are not, the law doesn't save us, but exposes our need for salvation. It, it exposes our sinfulness. And then Paul says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
fix your eyes not on your failure, but on Christ conquering your failures. Fix your eyes on Jesus who died for you in your weakness. And then Romans 6 teaches us that we have received a whole new identity, not defined by our sin, but defined by Christ's righteousness. And in Romans 6.4, we learn about baptism. How baptism shows us a, a picture of the new identity. We were buried there, therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And, and so baptism is going into the water and going under the water. Just like Christ died, we're dying to the old self and we're bearing it away. Just like Christ rose from the grave, we rise from the water. We say, hey, we've embraced the new life that Christ has come to bring me. We know that our old life, in verse 6 of Romans 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And part of this new identity is that we have been broken free from the power of sin in our life to condemn us because Christ was condemned once and for all for our sins. But then comes Romans 7. And Romans 7 teaches us that even though the power of sin has been broken, the presence of sin still remains. And see if you can't identify with the Apostle Paul here in Romans 7.22. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being. He might say it this way today. I really want to do the right thing. Like, deep down inside, I feel like my impulses are good, and I want to glorify God, and I want to love other people. I really feel like, like inside, my, my deepest longing is to, is to love God and to love the neighbor. I really feel like that's what's really living inside of me. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And the Apostle Paul says, I know that I've been broken free from the power of sin, but I have this dual desire, this desire to do right things, but man, sin is close at hand, and it seems like it's a power in my life, like sin's a power. And by the way, that's how the Bible describes sin. If you don't believe sin's a power, just try to stop doing it. You can't stop doing it. That's why you needed a Savior, because he, he came to save you from a power. And Paul's like, there's a power at work within me, and it's a power of sin inside of me I can't break free from. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, he says. And over the years and years of being a pastor and talking to people, I can tell you the, the, the greatest heartache that I have experienced in the lives of people have been people who've sat across the table from me and said, I really want to do the right thing. But I keep doing the wrong thing. Who could save me from this body of death? And so if you live in that Romans 7 place, and you can relate to the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, you're like, man, sometimes, you know, sometimes Christians, when they're living Romans 7, start to question their salvation. They start to wonder, am I really saved? They start to wonder, does, does God really want to do anything with me? And Romans 8 teaches us that even though we are tempted to live in a state of self-condemnation, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
even though sometimes we'd like to fixate on our failures and sometimes we'd like to look at those failures and say, that defines me. My failure defines me. Jesus shows up with the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit shows up with the Word in Romans 8, 1 and says, no, Jesus was condemned for your sins once and for all. But you go, I don't deserve that. The Spirit goes, yes, that's true. You don't deserve it. And grace is free. It is freely given to the undeserving. And every time you sin, you go, I can't believe you would save somebody like me. I can't believe you would love somebody like me. And then Romans 8, 1 just keeps being spoken over you. It's spoken over you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is a law of sin and death. The law exposes our sin, helps us understand why the whole world is falling apart and why our lives, their very lives, are falling apart. But there's a, there's another law. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. It's a law of grace. It's a law that has liberated you. There's a law that enslaves you, and there's a law that liberates you. And the Holy Spirit has come up to you, has come to you in the Word of God to say you are no longer enslaved by sin, but you're liberated by the Spirit. You've been liberated if you're a Christian. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been liberated. If you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again, conquered your sin and death, has given you as righteous as a gift, you've been liberated. There's no condemnation for you. He died for your sins once and for all. You've been liberated. And you've been liberated, and your liberty can never be taken from you. And I want, I want to show you why it can't be taken from you. Because your liberation isn't based upon something you have done. It's based upon something Christ has done on your behalf. And so when Paul is teaching the gospel in Romans 8, 3, he says, for God has done, God has done, not you have done. What God has accomplished, not what you have accomplished. What God did for you. For, for, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law couldn't save you. It could only expose your need for a Savior. It couldn't save you. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He was condemned for you, which is why there's no condemnation for you. Our salvation doesn't rest in what we have done. It rests on everything that Christ has done on our behalf in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. If you're a Christian, the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in you through the complete and finished work of Jesus. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteous of God in him. You are a recipient of Christ's righteousness. That's the gift. It's It's undeserved. When the Father looks down on you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. When, when the Father looks on the cross, He sees your sin. 
Like this is this is a gift. Like and and, and when we when we live that Romans seven reality, we 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 want to just go. We want to go. You know what? I, I don't really deserve this salvation. I don't really deserve it. And the Holy Spirit is going to keep showing up in your life and saying, "Yes, you're right. You don't deserve it. It's freely given." Look, God has not liberated you to sin, however. This is a constant struggle in Paul's teaching on this liberation from sin. Is that people show up and they go, yeah, but what reason is there for righteousness? What reason is there for holiness? And what reason is there for obedience? (laughs) The Apostle Paul says, look, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says the Spirit now lives in you to aid and to, to help you in your obedience to God. You're not alone anymore on this journey of righteousness. That God has not liberated you to sin, but God has liberated you to love. What does it mean to, to live the law? Well, Romans 13, the Apostle Paul answers the question. This is what it means to live the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. And so the Apostle Paul goes, I'll make it really simple for you. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of what it means to be living a Christian life, to be walking a step of the Spirit, is loving your neighbor. The scriptures always do this. They say, hey, it all boils down to loving God and honoring Him and loving your neighbor and serving them. And the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is enables you to love when you otherwise could not love. Enables you to do the things that you couldn't do on your own. Uh, In Ezekiel 36, there's this prophecy about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Here's the prophecy, and I'll give you a new heart. This is the description of what it looks like when someone receives the Holy Spirit. It's like getting a new heart. A new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll I'll put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk. That's a metaphor for live in the Bible. I'll cause you to live ordinary lives. I'll cause you to walk in your ordinary life according to my statutes. And to be careful to obey my rules. So the spirit comes in to enable you to live out the law of God, to help you to walk in accordance with the, the, the statutes of God. And what the Spirit does is addresses the biggest obstacle to love in your life. And the biggest obstacle to love is self-centeredness. What the Holy Spirit begins to do in you is just to remove all of that self-centeredness, that self-focus, that self-consciousness, and it shows up in a lot of our lives in self-condemnation. It's just a way of sort of thinking about yourself all the time. See, God has liberated liberated you from self-centeredness. Look at Romans 8, verses 5 and following. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So he goes, hey, I want you to think about how the Holy Spirit has changed how you think. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so he's saying in short here, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. We'll talk later about how you can know if you have the Holy Spirit or not. What is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is steering the mind away from the flesh and onto the things of the Spirit. See, the flesh refers to our fallen, egocentric human nature. This is the word that Paul uses often, this word that calling out flesh is just sort of fleshly ambition, self-centered ambition, egocentric ambition, the kind of, the kind of fleshliness that focuses on the, on, on the physical rather than the spiritual, what can be seen rather than what is unseen, on the self rather than others. See, a mindset on the flesh is a mindset on the self. Now hear me, I'm going to say this in the negative, so I hope it'll, it'll come across to you. A mind that is not liberated by the Spirit, a mind that is not liberated or being liberated by the Spirit tends to drift towards one of two places. One is self-condemnation. I'm terrible, I'm lousy, I'm never good enough, I'm never going to be good enough, I keep blowing it, I keep failing, or self-justification. I need to do this to prove myself, I need to do this to prove my acceptability, I need to do this to make sure everybody loves me and cares for me so I can care for myself and love myself, and it's all of the work that we do to try to prove ourselves in the stage of life. And people tend to, when they're, when, when they're not living, like, listen, when the Word of God's not dwelling in, within you richly, and the Holy Spirit's not using the Word of God in your life, it's easy for a Spirit-filled Christian to live in Romans 7 land to a place where they're, they're drifting between these poles. One, on one side, just manic self-approval seeking, and on the other side, sort of manic self-condemnation. And the Spirit says, you're free from all that noise. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have nothing to prove. You've already been approved of. It wasn't based on what you did. It's based on what Christ did on your behalf. Look, our minds must be focused not on what we have failed to do or need to do, but on what Jesus has already done. So as I was reading and rereading through Romans 8 this week, my mind kept going to Romans 8.3. For God has done by sending His own Son. For God has done by sending His own Son. For God has done like it's already done. Meaning there's nothing left to do. For God has done by sending Jesus. And I just needed to sit with Romans 8, 3 for a second and go, you know what, I have nothing to prove to anybody. And all of my failures have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing holding me back. You see, we, we've, we've been liberated to be who we're really meant to be. This is kind of the way Paul structures his arguments usually. You'll see this in almost every page of Paul's letters. He'll say, um, he'll focus on what God has done, and he'll say, because, this is, because God has done this, this is who you are. And he says in verse 9, 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You have to hear that Paul is saying this because there's a temptation to live in Romans 7 land. And so there are some people who just who feel like, well, maybe God didn't, you know, maybe I'm not really saved. And he says, hey, listen, you are not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to God. And so he's going to say the evidence that you belong to God is the Spirit in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The, Spirit, the Spirit's in you. He's in you. What's the Spirit doing? He's bringing life to you. So the Spirit's primary role in our lives is to make much of Jesus and His righteousness. That's what He does primarily. And one of the ways that you know you have the Spirit in you is the Spirit is testifying. The Spirit is, is, is testifying in you. Yep, that's true. When you hear there's no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Spirit in you goes, yes. The Spirit in you says, believe it. The Spirit in you says, embrace that truth. The Spirit in you is, is, is testifying, testifying, like speaking the words of God in your life. And so we've got to tune our ears to hear the Spirit. Look, we are not debtors to the flesh. That's not, we, we've been freed. We're heirs of the Father, and the Spirit testifies to that fact. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are, <laughs> so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. It's another way of saying, you know, sometimes people live, sometimes people live like they have something to prove. And sometimes people live like they have something to prove because they're, they're not quite sure all their debt's been paid off. And they're working really hard, working really hard just to, get, just to get that word from somebody in their life to say, I approve of you, I'm proud of you. Every once in a while, you just need to hear the Bible to sort of speak over you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen. For all, let, let, it, just let it speak over you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. By the way, this is not sons and daughters. It's sons because only sons could be heirs. And what he's saying here is that sons and daughters are equally heirs, that we are all heirs of God, belong to Him. We belong to Him and we are heirs. You will never be liberated to love, to fulfill the law, to love God, love the neighbor, You'll never be liberated to love until you, your need for justification is satisfied. Until Spirit speaks over you, there's no condemnation for you. 
So, so long as you feel like there is condemnation for you, so long as you feel like you have something to prove, then you're going to be working really hard to find that approval, which means your mind is going to be focused on you primarily all the time because you're constantly in need of approval and justification for your existence. And, and the reason why you can't give love away in your life right now is because you're so consumed with yourself because you're not quite sure that you are lovable or that you have been loved perfectly. But when you receive the perfect love of the Father in heaven, what happens is, is in you. What happens in you is that you just go. You know what? The most important eyes in the, in the in the planet, the most important eyes in the universe, the most important eyes in existence look down on me and they see Christ's righteousness. The most important eyes in existence look down on me with approval. Like when you when you receive that. I don't deserve it. Yeah, you don't. It's grace. When you receive that, you receive a freedom, a liberation from the self, and a liberation to love. If you have not, listen, if you have not been justified once and for all in Jesus, you will need to find justification in your relationships or achievements. If you have not been justified once and for all in Jesus, meaning it's not, if it's not done for you, then you still have a lot to do. You can still seek justification. You still seek it through your achievements and through your relationships. Well, he says, put to death the fleshly thing. Just put it to death. Put to, put to death that, that voice of the flesh in your life. Well, how do you do it? You put to death self-centeredness by setting your mind on the voice of the Holy Spirit. Setting your mind on the voice of the Spirit. I said earlier, the Spirit testifies. Here's the verse, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit, the spirit bears witness. The spirit speaks. The spirit directs. For some people, this is like, whoa, he's gotten real, he's gotten real mystical, you know? And like, yes. Yes, the Spirit speaks. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does he say? He says, you belong to the Father. And he looks on you lovingly. He looks on you with eyes that, have, that, are, that are not condemning because those eyes condemn Jesus, his Son, for your sins once and for all. And so he looks at you approvingly. And when you get, when you, when you get that, oh my gosh, when you get that, for God has done by sending. When you get that. So the, the three steps to set the mind that I talk about often at New City is recognizing, rebuking, and replacing. This is, a, this is a habit for the new year, man. Recognize the lie. We all have voices in our head, tapes in our head, tapes that condemn or tapes at play that say, you're not acceptable until or unless you do this or have that or get this relationship or have that thing in your life. And, and so like, we all have tapes that play. You've got to recognize, is that, is that a, a tape that's calling me to justify myself through my action? Is that a tape that's calling me to self-condemnation? If it is, it's not from God, it's a lie. So rebuke the lie. And replace the lie with the gospel truth. Hold on to the words of God that say, you know what, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and I'm a child of the Father. 
The spirit in me cries out, Abba, Daddy. Just cries out to me. Look, as the spirit breaks you free from you, you're broken free to love. What God has done by sending his own son. What God has done, 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 done. The box has been checked. The line has gone through it. Done. Done. Let, let that just speak. God has done through his son. Done. Look, we are broke free to love by the love of our Father. That's how we are broken free. Because the Father sent His Son. We've been broken free by love. Verse 15, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's been my observation of life that inside every child there's a longing for the love of a father or a parent in their life. You just watch kids, you know, uh, when we had sports. <laughs> You watch kids playing sports in the sports field, and after they do something great, do you know, you know what they do? Like right away, they look over for mom and dad. They go, did you see that? That's what Christian obedience is. Look, Christian obedience is a thing we do to make God smile. It's a thing that we do to make our Heavenly Father smile. He's a father who loves you so much that he sent a son for you. He, like, he loves you. He has affection for you. He's for you. And sometimes like we overcomplicate what it means to like, obey God. And so one of the ways you can just sort of test your behavior is say, does this make God smile? Do you think he's smiling down on this activity? Do you think he's, when he sees you doing this, he's, he's smiling at you? Because Christian obedience is just the things we do to make the father smile. To, to bring a smile to his face. And there's nothing the Father loves more than his family loving others and with his love. If you want to know how to please him, love the neighbor. And look, we've been liberated to witness. That's what we've been liberated to do, to witness. To witness the love of the Father in heaven. To witness the loving act of his son Jesus on our behalf. To witness. In Acts 1 8, Jesus says, You'll receive the power, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to receive this power to be a witness to the ends of the earth. You're going to receive this power to witness. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit bears witness in you, okay? It bears witness in you. You belong to the Father, it bears witness in you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. One of the things the Spirit does is bears witness through you to the world. Now, it's been my observation that Christians often don't live up to their missional potential because no spiritual person has ever prayed for, fasted over, or sent them. And said, hey, listen, you have the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> you're, you're, look, you're a priest in the kingdom. Like, go and be a witness. There's a scene in Acts 13 that I often go back to just when I pray over our city. Because it's a, it's a, it's a scene in, in Acts where a whole region is reached. And it's reached by... Uh, by, by Paul and Barnabas going out and, and preaching the gospel. 
But sometimes we, we, we just have to go back and go, where did that original Genesis start? Like, where did it start? When, how, did, how was the whole region reached? Like, how did, how did the witness of Jesus and his love go all out to, you know, how, how, did, how did it work? Well, the church was worshiping. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, we can never s- just skip over lines like that. The church was worshiping and fasting, and the Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, so I earlier asked, what's your word, you know, for 2021? And I don't know if anything came to mind. I told you that my word for 2021 is transform. And one of the things that the Lord was speaking to me this week in my, in my sort of preparation for this message is that transformation comes through the Word of God, dwelling within me and within us richly. It comes, it comes from a, a, an ear tuned in to the Holy Spirit of God, comes in to, to a people who are worshiping, fasting, and praying. And when people are worshiping, fasting, and praying, and the Word of God is dwelling richly, and the Word of God is testifying to our reality to, I- internally, the Spirit is freeing us to love and to love the neighbor and to love others and, and to live in a way that, that brings a smile to the Father's face. And so the Holy Spirit's enabling our witness. Like when that happens, I believe transformation happens. Look, and I am praying that God will transform those held captive by sin into children set free for, from, <laughs> by God. That's what I'm praying for. That, that, that captives will become children in our church and in our city because we have a group of people who said yes to the word of God, yes to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we've said, you know, send us. I'm just going to read the verses for today, and here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask just for you to be open for the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. And, and this, may be, this may be new for you. It may give you the heebie-jeebies, and you may be like, this, I don't know about this, and this is, I don't know. Listen, uh, all the engineers at Sandia watching, the, like, just listen to the Holy Spirit, okay, here. Uh, listen, don't overanalyze. Listen. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Holy Spirit, use your word in our life. So Father, I pray that you would do transformative work in us. Like help us to be freed from self-condemnation. If there's anybody here that's like living in constant self-condemnation, Holy Spirit, speak to them. There's no condemnation. If there's somebody who's just worn out and beat down with approval-seeking, Father, I pray you'd speak to them that <laughs> you love them and that they're heirs. They're in the family. There's nothing left to prove. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would, you would lead our church into this new year. That we'd have a transformative presence in our city. 
I pray you'd work your transformation out in our lives individually, but I pray that your witness would spill out into the streets and neighborhoods that we live in. So I'm praying without, without hesitation for transformation. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me, how you took all of my sins on the cross, how you overcame them, how you've given me freedom. I don't deserve it, but I, I receive it with a glad heart. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.